Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hello, everyone. I'm excited today to bring you Dr. Vasu Kakalapudi, who's a trained ear, nose, throat, head, neck surgeon who helps busy physicians achieve financial freedom by investing in real estate without the headaches of being a landlord. Welcome to the show, doctor. Uh, glad to be here, Brian. Awesome. Cool. So, I mean, to start, can you give us an idea kind of, of your journey? You can start at 18 years old or you can go back sooner if you want uh, and just kind of I guess how you got into medicine and then, you know, then I really want to talk about kind of this pivot of how you went to, you know, go about getting into the real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I grew up in Kansas City, uh, son of uh, two Indian immigrant kids, uh, uh, two immigrant parents, rather. And like a lot of other kids growing up in the 80s, uh, I was addicted to baseball. And uh, the harsh reality occurred to me when I was uh, trying out for the high school team as a freshman and couldn't make the high school team. So I realized I wasn't going to be able to earn a paycheck playing baseball. So I had to kind of pivot to uh, things that I was good at. I was good at school. And so um, naturally, you know, being a brown kid in the Midwest growing up in the 80s, if you're good in school, you're going to be a doctor or an engineer. And I chose medicine. Uh, fortunate to uh, get into a program at uh, in my hometown of Kansas City. So I went to college and medical school over there and uh, did my residency in ear, nose and throat surgery uh, in Baltimore, really kind of like ENT surgery because it was very delicate, uh, meticulous, precise, kind of going from one landmark to another landmark. And so that really attracted, uh, me and, and my innate personality, uh, from there kind of moved to, uh, Louisville, Kentucky to start a practice, got married, my wife and I, uh, my wife's a dentist. And so she and I were blessed with kind of a, a nice, uh, healthy paycheck, but still trading time for money and kind of looked around to see, okay, well, how could we, leverage our career earnings and um, gain freedom um, to be able to do the things that we want to do and work on our own terms. And the obvious uh, place to go was was real estate. And so I've been hooked ever since. Okay. Okay. So what does, uh, I guess, what does your real estate portfolio look like? Like what, what type of assets do you guys buy? Yeah. So initially got into the single family, like most people uh, start because the barrier to entry is pretty low in single family, but kind of quickly realized that Toilets and termites create a lot of hassle and it's hard to scale. So uh, quickly kind of moved on to um, a wide variety of real estate asset classes from medical office, which was a natural instinct for us because given our um, our profession and um, mm -hmm. in medical office and built a surgical hospital and senior care, uh, retail, grocery anchored retail in particular because of its uh, Amazon resi uh, recession mm -hmm. resistant kind of asset nature of that. And then most recently, over the last probably 10 years, uh, primarily focusing on multifamily, um, just due to the, the supply-demand imbalance and the, and the strong um, demographic tailwinds with, with housing in this country. Okay. Yeah. And then what is, do you invest kind of yourself? Is it like, do you raise money, I guess, from other investors? I'm, you know, primarily doctors, it may sound like, what is all, like, where does the capital come from? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. You know, I mean, I, 
I like to always beta test them myself before I um, raise capital from friends and family. So certainly have kind of, you know, done a lot of the, uh, the background work and in investing in an asset class myself, risking my own money, learning the learning all the tricks of the trade and uh, uh, perfecting that before we raise capital from other folks. But, you know, we never really went into this to try to raise capital. It was more along the lines of friends and family that we helped make money for but like, oh, you know, you should, uh, we want to do more, we want to do more and more. And so yep. Out of that um, need, um, and really kind of saw a lot of our peers who were still, you know, kind of uh, had a lot of negative emotions given the negative secular trends of practicing medicine, and we're kind of looking for an antidote to that. And real estate is the obvious antidote in, in, in our humble opinion. So, so now we we do raise capital primarily for multifamily because it's the it, it's the most demographically based, least economic cycle uh, sensitive uh, asset class within commercial real estate. Okay. And so how many doors do you own? How much is it worth? Where are they located? What's it look like? Yeah. So we we are uh, operate a, a multifamily syndication fund. So we okay. provide um, diversification for investors across multiple assets. So we've we've got three assets in the fund. Aside from our own personal portfolio and a few small groups of friends and family, so we've uh, we started the fund about a year ago, um, year a little bit over a year, about a year and a half ago now, and uh, have three assets in that. Uh, uh, we, the most recent one was a sixty-four million dollar addition that we had in Wiley, Texas, which is a suburb just east of Plano in the DFW area. Um, another uh, asset in Fort Worth, um, and then prior to that, another asset in uh, Northeast Atlanta. So, okay, um, yeah. How much in total? Um, so we're we've acquired in our fund about uh, about two hundred million dollars worth of assets in our fund right now. Oh wow, that's pretty impressive. There's a large property. I mean, you three assets, two hundred million bucks. I mean, those are those, yeah. are those are big boy properties there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are big. big how do you how do you like make the jump? I mean, because part of that's the mindset stuff, right? You go from <clears> a single family door, super low stress, not low stress, low barrier of entry. Like you understand it to like, holy moly, we want to you know, buy 200, $200 million of real estate with other people's money. Uh, like, what, what does that like internally look like? And then obviously, like externally, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, it, internally, it's just about <clears throat> making 2% improvements every, every, every time you do a deal. So, you know, the way you climb a mountain is one step at a time, right? So, you know, this didn't happen overnight. We, you know, again, I uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, we started shortly after I uh, started practice in 2003. So really okay. started investing in real estate in 2005. Um, and certainly didn't start off with these larger projects, but start start off with smaller projects and um, really built a team. So real estate's a team sport, yeah. <clears throat> and and so I was very fortunate to be uh, to have a lot of mentors along the way, and I kind of did you know the the, the medical colleagues uh, on your um, listenership will probably understand the concept of residency, where you know you basically spend time with professors yep. who do what you do. And um, over a period of time, you kind of learn some skills and it's on the on the job training, essentially. And that's what I did with real estate. So, um, you know, fortunate to have a lot of mentors along the way who I was able to kind of ride along with. And I said, hey, I want to learn your business. And it, it's amazing how if you're if you're humble and uh, and energetic and, um, you know, people want to help you. And so that's yep. really essentially what what I was able to do was to um, learn from the experts. And, and you know, again, you, you take one, one small project and then you learn from that and then refine your process um, and then you expand to the next project. And it's just, it's just a sequential 
it's just like compound interest, you know, yep. your skill sets. And so it's yeah, like one property to the duplex to the like five to the 10 to the 20 to the 50 to the 100 to the now, whatever. I mean, you know, hundreds yeah. of doors. Um, you, you got it. And, it. and it's about building a team. So, you know, again, real estate, as we mentioned, is a team sport. So we've got a team behind us that's done, you know, north of $800 million worth of transactions that have been, you know, profitable throughout various economic cycles. So it's, it's about, you know, finding your core competency and then, um, building a team around you to complement your mm-hmm. skill sets. Um, so what does that team look that, like for you? Are they all full-time people like that are 100% on your fund? Like what are the different roles? Yeah, exactly. You know, so you've got to have, you got to have folks with that help you with finding deals and building relationships with brokers and other, um, other investors. And then, um, you know, putting the deal together from a financing perspective. Um, you need an asset manager, property managers. Um, accountants and CPAs and you know yep, all, all that, that. Yep. yeah all, just like it, running any other business it's 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 not a yep. it's not an individual thing and so what's your role in the organization so my role in the organization I'm kind of transitioned now to primarily being the visionary in terms of um, communicating a vision to the to the rest of our team members and also my my core competency what I love doing more than anything else is is talking to investors so I love talking to peers. Uh, surgical peers, physician peers, healthcare peers, or other business owners yep. who are looking to learn more about real estate and find opportunities where they can invest alongside us. Because again, um, I, I wanted to have malignant alignment of interests, and um, and so we definitely align our interests so that you know it gives folks an opportunity to invest alongside us. So we're yep, you're putting we're, capital in every deal. Yeah, we're putting we're we're the largest investor in typically in every deal. So people can rely on the fact that not only is our reputation and our guarantor status and uh, on the line, but so is our own personal capital. And so um, you know, I, I love this quote from Charlie Munger. He talks about show me the align show the alignment and I'll show you the outcome. Yep. And uh, so th- that's what we try to live. So then, uh, I guess you and some some other partners that are also doctors that are kind of the the owners and managing members. Is that what it looks like from a leadership perspective? Yeah, leadership perspective. Uh, we're the only physicians. The other guys are, you know, um, yeah. um, primarily, um, you know, not not practicing medicine. So, um, okay. and I and I and I practice medicine on a you know on a part time basis. So yeah, that was going to be my next question: is how do you allocate time? I guess it's it's I'm sure it's evolved over the year from a. 10% to 15, 20, maybe you could tell me, but, and then that, what does it look like today in terms of your, your allocation of time? Yeah, right now I'm probably about a 60, 40. I still like practicing medicine about 60% of the time. I do real estate about 40% of the time, but you know how it is as a business owner, um, you know, you, you, you work evenings and weekends and, and so it's real estate's really a passion. So I don't really view it as work. So I don't really count the number of hours I do, uh, in real estate, but, um, so for example, today's my real estate day. So I'm, I'm in the home office, uh, my, in my house, uh, talking to guys like you, uh, entrepreneurs and other investors and, and, um, okay. looking so at you new do, deals. You do a lot of the fundraising, like investor relations, initial calls to educate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then also involved in, you know, the weekly meetings with our property managers and, Yep, all with that. our asset management team looking at the different assets and kind of you know vetting our processes and our models to figure out you know hey does this make sense for us and so it's a little bit of a little bit above a little bit of all the, all the pieces but okay. yeah primarily I love talking to investors so how do you then so go go into that subject so you're you're talking to 
a, a doctor or someone in tech or someone who's got you know almost all their money in the, the stock market because that's what they've been taught to do. That it's like that's where you put your dollar cost average into Vanguard or whatever you do, and it's safe and it's secure and it's like you know it's what you do. And the real estate's like risky or that there's all these issues, whatever, right? There's all these negative right. connotations. So right. how do you go about like I guess what's your what philosophy of of trying to help pivot and break that kind of mold and then to believe in in the asset class. Um, to invest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most people who are in the scientific fields, you know, really kind of believe, follow the data, right? And so that you look at the data and you think about the more uh, diversified your portfolio can be, um, the lower your risk, even yes. with the same risk profile. And so um, that's what I tell folks. And, and you kind of look at like, uh, you know, institutions like Tiger 21, you know, is a another high yeah. net worth uh, group of mastermind uh, group of investors. And, you know, they, they allocate the plurality of their investment portfolio to real estate. So 27% real estate and 25% in the stock market. So, you know, people who are trying to aspire to have freedom and fulfillment in life can can really kind of there's a proven path, and just relying purely on the stock market, uh, an equal blend blend of stocks and bonds and growth and uh, you know various different types of stocks and mutual funds just isn't isn't the way that most people gain financial freedom. So it's really showing them the data and just kind of understanding that hey. You know, you know, while stocks and bonds are are part of your portfolio, if you diversify and put a portion into hard assets like real estate that's really safe, you can lower your risk and increase your return and yep. gain tremendous amount of tax advantages, which uh, you know we can certainly talk about in, in depth as well. So then, you know, and I I've had some other guys, you know, who do, who've done apartment syndications and things like this on as well, and so and. And from, from your perspective, why would they invest with like your guys or one of these other ones versus, you know, if they invest in a REIT or something that's like a publicly traded thing if they want real estate exposure? Yeah, I mean, a lot, I get that question a lot. Actually, um, REITs have become very popularized because they're, they're, they've got a lot of marketing dollars behind them. Um, yep. And fortunately, um, REITs, you're actually investing in companies that buy real estate. Right, and they're subject to the whims of the ebbs and flows of the stock market. So the volatility in REITs is is huge. You don't get the same tax advantages. Um, you know, if if uh, Elon Musk tweets something or Trump tweets something or yep. Biden has a, a tiff with Congress, all of a sudden that can affect your um, yeah, the, the price, the public but not the underlying asset, which doesn't exactly. change with the tweets. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When you're in a syndication. You know your valuation is primarily based upon the PNL of your individual business, and so um, all of these short-term you know cycles from uh, political news and pundits saying one thing or the other can affect your valuation. Uh, whereas when you're running a business, I mean, sure there are you know you are sensitive to the economic cycle for sure, but you're more sensitive to the demographic cycle if you're focusing on the type of asset class that we focus on. And plus, the other thing is tax advantages. So. You know, yep. when you are a fractional owner in an asset, all the pass-through benefits as a business owner flow through to the individual investors. So um, those are some of the things. But, you know, we could talk about that for yeah you know, ages, Brian. So so then someone says, all right, I, I, I'm game. I get this. I want to go direct. Uh, how are some of the ways they can go about vetting 
both the operator, which is someone like you, and then what the asset is, or in this case, a fund, which is going to be like a broad range of like, you know, this is what we look for. And if it fits our criteria, this is what we're going to buy. So let's talk about the operator first. How, how do you, how would you recommend someone betting an operator? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is experience, right? Um, you need to understand their experience, um, the breadth of their team, um, and how have they done during, you know, the last five to 10 years have been golden times for real estate. And so much like the tech bubble, so in, in the when the dot-com crisis, I was in residency at the time, and I remember... Um, you know, everyone was a genius because all you had to do was invest in any company that said dot com after it, and your dollar became two dollars yeah. tomorrow. Right? Dot com. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was a genius, and so then you got to think about: well, were they really a genius, or were they just riding that wave yeah. of the market? Um, so, was their success related to their metrics uh, and their model, or was it just related to the market? And so, I think. You're starting to see a little bit of that in the real estate market right now because everything's been so hot and everybody, you know, who hasn't made money in real estate in the last five or 10 years? And so if you go just purely based upon performance, you um, have the risk of assuming that somebody has done well because of their model and their experience mm -hmm. as opposed to them just riding the market wave. And so um, it's important to kind of see, well, how have they done during a down market? And they've never experienced uh, a downturn before, uh, that would be a red flag to me. So, um, so my biggest advice to people who want to get involved in real estate is to kind of look at the sponsor, uh, see how they have performed in good times and bad times. Um, you know, what is their experience? Yep. Um, do they have, uh, do they have any kind of marks on their record? Um, and you, 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 know, you certainly want to look into that. Um, and how levered they are, how, how disciplined are they um, in terms of their uh, their financing, et cetera. So people don't often ask about that, but always ask about their debt because you know you know we always want to be somewhat levered to increase our returns, but you don't want to be over levered. So it's a balancing act. Um, and how they structure, how operators structure their debt is a, yeah. is a factor that I think a lot of times doesn't uh, get talked about as nearly as much. How does someone go about learning that? Because like a lot of it is in the details too. Like, I, so I've invested in a number of syndications, and you know, we always look at the debt, and it's like if they have this floating debt, you know, which it was three point whatever before, it was all great, but now it could be eight. Uh, right. And so, what they have to do to protect themselves is they buy, you know, caps to it. Right. But then, you know, someone if they don't know to ask, ask that question, and they have this total like you know eighty percent debt with this huge you know floating rate that like wipes out their cash flow, right? You know, it could go upside down, right? So like. Yeah. How does someone, I mean, you, once you do it, you kind of know it, but like, I don't know, what, what resources or where do you direct people if they, if they want to learn kind of more about that, that underwriting process as, a, as yeah, an I mean, investor? I, yeah, I think the biggest thing is to ask other investors who've done this before you. So that's what I did. I mean, I, I learned this business over the last eight, 17, 18 years uh, by, you know, I read a lot of books and listened yep. to podcasts and that kind of stuff. But you know, there's only so much you can learn from reading and listening to podcasts. Yep, um, yep. Ultimately, mentors and people who have a little bit more gray hair than you, who've experienced good times and bad times, can share with you lessons. It's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid, your grandparents used to talk about the stories about when they were kids and you're like, oh, yeah, you used to roll your eyes. But as you get more seasoned, you understand, man, they, they provided some wisdom about experiences that maybe... Um, you uh, have not experienced. So, I mean, you can certainly learn from your mistakes, but you can also leverage the mistakes of your yep. tribe 
And so I, I never, uh, never underestimate the value of listening to people who have uh, crossed your path before. And um, so, you know, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, Brian, yeah that's but great. Me- that's a great one. Cause that's, that's how I've learned. I've, you know, we mentioned this earlier, but I, I joined this group called GoBundance, which is yeah. this entrepreneurial group. Uh, and there's a lot of guys in real estate and actually most of the deals I've invested in are from guys in that group. But, but yeah. that's how I've learned because I've, yeah. you know, been alongside other investors and then the guys who run it like you, who then, you know, will kind of open up the Komodo in a sense and kind of give an idea of what, what the business is like and show right. real returns. And then they can show track record. These are like X amount of deals we've done. And, um, you know, then you learn some of these things to say, Hey, this is like a good quality. And Hey, this is a, like a bad quality. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it's just, it's the average of the people you're with. And if you're not, if you're not happy with the room you're in, you just got to find a new room. And yeah, you know, exactly. for some people it's abundance for some people it's other, you know, I mean, obviously tiger 21, if, if you yeah. can net, net worth, uh, can hit that high and there's yeah. other groups as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the, the, the key thing is, I mean, as, as I was transitioning more and more to real estate, I kind of really kind of used a lot of my, um, surgical career to kind of take some parallels about, you know, in surgery, we really kind of go from one landmark to another landmark and kind of go in that graduated fashion, mm-hmm. like we talked about in residency. Yeah. Um, and really just tried to apply the same principles that I used in my surgical training and my surgical practice to real estate investing. And I kind of realized, man, this is, there's a lot of parallels, mm. different industries, yep. but a lot of parallels in terms of how you progress ac- across um, a continuum of, uh, of, um, of knowledge and experience. Yep. And it's kind of the thing too, once you, you know, you get more knowledge and experience, even for me, if I look at a deal within like a couple minutes, I can make a decision. Hey, is this thing yeah. worth investigating? Or is this like total junk? And uh, yeah. l- lately for me, and you know, maybe you could speak to this is like looking at the asset class. And even as we get this downturn, you uh-huh. know, the price that some of these things want to sell at, like they're buying new construction deals at like a four cap or something. Yes. And yeah. then the plans to sell it at a 4.7 in like three years. Yeah. And it's like, if interest rates are six, you can't sell something for four. Yeah. Um, so, so, but even that, like, to me, that's like a no go versus you look at these other deals that are maybe probably more like you do with their value add in the middle of the country. And there's like, you know, rents are 700 bucks and the plans to get them to 800 bucks. And it's like, that can get us a return that we, we desire. And yeah. So it's a lot of times I'm looking at like the business plan of the deal and just like, does this thing make sense to me or not? And, and a lot of times it don't even make sense. I don't even, I don't even go any further. Uh, I don't yeah, know. You I have mean, any I, thoughts I, on all that? I, yeah. I mean, I think, I think my, you know, the thing that I think most investors, active or passive investors should really look at when they're looking at a syndication is um, really the, the MSA and the market mm. um, and the, the, the MSA and the sub market, um, because real estate essentially is a people's sport, right? So people have to be moving to that area. And so where people move, where the jobs are, where, yep. where it's a business friendly climate, where it's, um, you know, those kinds of things, where the taxes are appropriate, and et cetera. So you gotta study the MSA, you know, and then you study the operator. Usually if you get those two variables, right, you get, you know, you've got somebody who's got some experience, who's honest and has skin in the game, just like your skin, just like you have skin in the game. And they're investing in markets that have good demographic tailwinds that you can follow. Rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. And if you're a long-term holder in that, in those specific markets with financial discipline and not being overly levered and have stress tested your model, I mean, anything can happen, but that's 99% of the battle yeah. right there. Like four variables, the, the, the two key being the MSA, the sub market, um, and MSA and sub market together and the operator. 
those two are probably have 90% of it. Yep. And remaining 90% yep. is some of these other things we talked about. And what's your, uh, so what's your business plan? Is it the, the sell in five to seven years or is it kind of the, the refinance, get the capital back and just hold these things to cash flow? What is, what is your plan? Personally, I, and I tell most, uh, most other peers that are in our boat that, you know, are really looking for passive income that allows them to be able to practice medicine if they want to and on their own terms and take a vacation whenever they want to take a vacation or attend their kids soccer game um, at five o'clock if it happens to be at five o'clock or um, you know yeah. donate to their favorite charities and 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 be philanthropic and make a difference in this world and uh, have time for hobbies that they never had time for before so I think passive income is the way to do that and so you know personally for most of our investors it's 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 generating the most amount of passive income and so the way you do that we humbly believe that if you can uh, find a very safe, secure place and generate tax advantage, passive income, and then as you make improvements to the asset, harvest some of that equity um, through either a refinance or um, a 1031 where you, where you roll over those gains and you essentially increase your basis in which to generate more passive income. So I'll give you uh, an example. So I invested in a, uh, a property in San Antonio uh, about four or five years ago. And, um, you know, through various demographic cycles and operational improvements, um, you know, the, the value of my equity had had doubled. And so we transitioned that equity into a new asset. And so let's say I was getting four four to five percent cash on cash mm-hmm. uh, every year on tax deferred basis. Well, now because I've doubled that equity, I get four to five percent on the higher amount, so it's essentially ten percent. Okay, ten percent okay. of my original cash uh, of okay. my original cash in a tax deferred fashion, and you keep doing that over and over again. You know, the it's been commented that you know time value of money and compound interest are like the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, right. And yeah, it's it's just amazing because then all of a sudden you keep rolling that over on a tax deferred basis, and pretty soon you've got you know passive income that exceeds your monthly expenses. And yep. you're like, man, I can do whatever I want. You know, I can work if I want to work. I can donate to my favorite charity if I want to donate to my favorite charity. I can take a vacation if I want to. I can attend my kid's soccer game. Yep. Um, yep. I can focus on my health um, and focus on my family and build better bonds and build better relationships within my community. I mean, it's 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 highly, highly addictive to be free. Yep. That's awesome. Well, it's awesome what you're doing to help other kind of physicians too, you know, from, you know, we can't get in today, but it's a very stressful job, right? That's, that's ever changing, probably regulations and everything that's going on. And so, like you said, if, uh, if we can give them that passive income and the freedom, and then they can probably live a happier and probably more productive and, you know, life and, and profession, which is, you know, we all benefit from. So that, that's and, 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 and it benefits the community, because think about it as if you were a patient, you know, I mean, I, if I'm a patient, you know. I would love to have my surgeon operating on me purely because they love the craft of surgery and not to feed their family. I mean, I, I just think the, the amount yep. of empathetic, compassionate care that I could be delivered as a patient would be much better with a financially free yeah, choice choices uh, rather than, you know, yeah. trying to work as many hours as they can to or as many surgeries as they can do to hit the number they want to hit and then pay all these taxes on it too. So uh Anyway, it's all it's it's interesting and it's awesome. So, where can listeners connect if they're interested in learning about more about you, or if they're interested in investing, or you know, just educating uh, for you to educate them, that kind of thing? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, recorded a webinar recently that uh, kind of gives you um, an overview of our unique opportunity. It's uh, properties uh, forward slash webinar. Okay. Um, it's APTA properties plural forward slash uh, webinar. And we're uh, also have a new ebook uh, coming out uh, called the Surgeons uh, Smart Surgeons Guide to Financial Freedom. Uh, they can email us at uh, info uh, at op- at optoproperties.com if they'd like a copy of that as well. Awesome, cool, and we'll we'll link all that up too in the show notes. So you can just click the button and make it easy. And uh, cool, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story. And like I said, it's pretty inspirational and pretty cool what you've done and what you've built. And you know, I'll be excited to kind of watch you continue to build. I'm, I'm sure you're not done raising money and making this a pretty big company. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for everything you do, Brian. I think uh, spreading the word about entrepreneurship and, and growing people's businesses, that's really, uh, as a son of an uh, immigrant, um, you know, I was actually born in India myself. Uh, you know, I think this is still a land of opportunity and entrepreneurship is the unique, uh, unique aspect of our culture that uh, I appreciate guys like you spreading the word about. Awesome. Cool. It was great chatting with you and and I'm sure we'll we'll stay in contact. Thank you, Brian. That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 